Good morning, everyone. This is Brandon Matloff in Los Angeles. Welcome to the Stella Oak Mavens podcast, where we feature different mavens in different fields. A maven is an expert of an expert. They are the go-to person who you would want to ask all the questions to before making a decision. The purpose of our podcast is to share inspiring stories, making us better consumers and investors. Today, we have a special guest, Andres Cantero. After going to Stanford undergrad and USC for law school, Andres has built a real estate practice at Kirkland and Ellis. But today we're going to talk about a project he has developed during the COVID pandemic and the exciting opportunity to make real change in today's living environment for students and for the homeless. This is going to be a fun show. Welcome, Andres. Hey, Brandon. So LA Room and Board, that's what it's called. What inspired you to create this project? Yeah, so I'm one of uh, two co- um, two founders. Um, and what really drove this initially was um, the co-founder, Sam Prater. Um, he's had over a decade of uh, experience working with um, student housing on campuses all across the country. Um, and so he, you know, started sharing, you know, his insight and experience and some of the research he was doing as a doctoral student uh, and naturally coming with a legal background um, and the ability to form nonprofits. Um, I immediately told him, well, you know, let's take your ideas and make them a reality. Um, so December 2018, uh, we decided to commence the process of forming a nonprofit. Um, and from there on out, we, you know, uh, sought a tax exempt status from the IRS and since then um, it's been, you know, trying to fuse a real estate background and knowledge of, you know, real estate mechanisms to try and also leverage that in a way that will help the most vulnerable and most needy. So it's been a great marriage of, you know, my background in real estate and desire to make a difference. Awesome. I would imagine that, you know, with you wanting to make a difference, there's probably a couple different organizations and different things you had been thinking about over the years. Did something um, kind of click with you on this one specifically? Was there something that had you more intrigued? Well, I think the thing that had me most intrigued was um, when we think of LA's homelessness population, you know, we always, you know, think of a certain kind of group of people, but we forget to realize that there are a lot of young people that make up that population. And most recently, a recent study produced in March 2019 showed that the greatest increase in homelessness was amongst the youth population Hmm. with a 24% increase. Uh, And that youth population, you know, drastically is comprised of people of color, foster youth, uh, you know, widowed or divorced, uh, you know, single mothers. Uh, And so for me, being able to work on a project like this would mean being able to, you know, help the most vulnerable in my community continue to make, you know, steps to better their life in the long term. So not only are we helping the most vulnerable, but we're also helping tackle an issue early on so that we don't continue to have, you know, the same issues LA is facing today uh, onto the future. You know, it's funny, it says a lot about you because I know that, you know, you went to law school ultimately to give your clients a voice. And so you're kind of doing the same thing in in being an entrepreneur, really, in a, in a way, and, and trying to build this and, and build this out. Um, it, is this something that you, you thought you might always do? Or was this kind of like an aha moment after your practice felt a little bit more established to then try to 
do something else. How how did the transition happen? Yeah, I, I I wouldn't say, to be honest, that I always knew I was going to do this exact thing. I always kind of knew that I would use what I learned in my real estate practice for good uh, to help, you know, communities like mine. Um, you know, early on, I had, you know, done a case study on Nipsey Hussle, um, his, uh, I guess, like community investment um, approach whereby, you know, people would buy shares into the block of the community center that, you know, they would end up like essentially renting out. But, um, you know, instead of renting out, they'd you know, be partial owners of, of the center. Uh, and so those kinds of mechanisms are creative ways to bring, you know, what would normally be a renter or people that would otherwise, you know, not have, you know, equity in, in you know, their business or in, in various companies um, with an opportunity to be able to engage in these kinds of, you know, investment models. Um, and so for me, I always knew that I wanted to bring that kind of, you know, opportunity and those kinds of resources to communities like mine because there was a, a, a knowledge gap. Um, and so this is a way of, you know, kind of bringing a knowledge or an area of knowledge gap to people by providing them housing uh, and providing them with the resources that they need so that they can continue to learn. So I think it like really marries this idea and vision of like, you know, how can I bring my knowledge of real estate in a way that will help people in advance their future? So I think that, no, it wasn't exactly what I imagined, but um, it's turned out to be, you know, even much more broad and, and more expansive than I imagined. Awesome. So I, I think a lot of the, most of the listeners, um, as you know, are, are college students and young entrepreneurs. And when you start something new, especially during, you know, COVID, there's got to be a lot of like, oh shit moments, right? Where you're trying to work on something and then you just keep getting jabbed along the way. Can you share what some of the challenges have been? And I know that a lot of the UCLA students are going to say, well, that's because you went to SC, right? But um, <laughs> can you share with us some of, some of what those moments might be? Yeah, so um, one of the moments that strikes out most uh, glaringly, um, our organization um, had been selected amongst hundreds of organizations in Los Angeles to be part of this incubator program. Uh, and part of the incubator program, um, our, you know, train of the resources that we got was training and preparation for this grand finale event, which was supposed to be a pitch in front of Los Angeles's largest philanthropic givers. Um, and as a result of COVID, this event was uh, initially canceled. We will now be doing it virtually. Um, but as you can imagine, there is something lost when your donors can't actually see uh, and feel um, you know, the emotion and, and all the work that you've put in presenting and pitching your idea. Um, so as a result, um, you know, this really set us back on some of the financial kind of like plans that we had. Um, but, you know, with every, you know, setback, you know, it's the one thing that law school and college and just life has taught me in general, you know, if at first you don't succeed, try again. Um, and so we continue to try and do, you know, pitch like events for ourselves. So, you know, doing virtual pitches to donors and foundations. Um, and during this time, we've realized that a lot of people have recognized nonprofits are in dire need of continued support, especially because, you know, they do lose that like FaceTime and the space to be able to do events to raise funds. So we've actually found a, a community of support um, just by expressing, you know, hey, we have this problem. 
we thought, you know, things would be different. Do you have any suggestions? You know, just putting our, our hearts and, and, and our issues out there and people have really come out and supported. So I think what this, you know, re, re, you know, has me remember is that we always have to, you know, constantly work on expanding our network and keeping that network active because you never know how they'll come through uh, when you most need them. I'd encourage our listeners to go back and, and hear that last, that last piece of advice um, from Andres. He said really a couple things in there that I, I was just taking some notes for me personally, but um, he talked about a virtual pitch and that's something new. Like most people aren't doing virtual pitches over Zoom or Ring Central. They're doing it face to face, but you know, these are different times and so they've had he you know, Andres and among others have had to learn how to do that. So he's probably a good resource if you're working on your virtual pitch in whatever industry, it doesn't necessarily have to be in a nonprofit. And then he also mentioned about, you know, if you're not succeeding, he's going to stand up and try again. And people don't always say yes the first time. You know, I think I had to ask my wife out 10 times before she finally acquiesced. So, you know, sometimes you don't succeed and you you keep trying again. I know at SC you did some cheerleading. Uh, Was there part of that for you that you learned a lot that is helping you today? I'm always curious about like extracurriculars while you're in school. Is there any crossover from that to where you are now? Yeah, I always think um, that cheer has really developed the ardor and passion that, you know, comes across in all that I do. Um, And as a result, you know, I'm always thinking of, you know, whether it's a pitch or whether it's an opportunity to make a connection to really try and understand, you know, who my audience is. Just as I was, you know, when I was out on on the competition floor, you know, if I was at a game, you know, I'd have a very different kind of like energy. Um, whereas versus, you know, if I was at a competition and my audience was, you know, a panel of judges. Um, so there's, you know, different kinds of things that you kind of have to think through and truly, you know, really in a high stress environment at times, uh, really helped amplify, you know, this focus on who your audience is and, a, and an ability to be able to connect uh, people in various and different settings. You almost have to be a chameleon and really understand your audience. And that's probably shaped your, uh, your pitch over time. Is there a, um, aha moment where you realize that, you know, the lights went on that you really had something here with this LA room and board was there something that happened that was like, okay, this is the real deal. We're actually going to make an impact. Was there a moment in time where you can kind of recall? There are, I would say, three moments where that happened. So the first moment, um, a little bit um, under the first year of existence, looking at your bank account and realizing, wow, in less than a year, we've raised about six figures, um, which most nonprofits don't do. So immediately we realized like people really believe in our vision and this is something that people want to see happen. Um, And so we really have to make sure that we are very diligent and work harder to execute, you know, this vision that, that we see, uh, that we have, that people are tremendously supporting uh, in large ways. So that was the first thing. The second thing, um, this opportunity house that fell upon our lap. Um, so there was another organization um, that was unable to uh, take the opportunity house um, into their slew of projects. 
So they immediately remembered us uh, again, ensure that you keep your networks tight. So they reached out to us and asked, you know, would you be interested in stepping into our shoes and taking over this project? Um, X, Y, and Z funding has already been laid up. So there was already some funding, you know, also with the funding that we'd be coming in uh, with as well. So that was the second and, and a pretty big um, kind of like opportunity for us because not only was there now a facility that was going to be able to open up to house about 53 students, it's located right across the street from UCLA, but there was also going to be sufficient funding for year one and into year two, which is very rare. Oftentimes when you're opening up housing facilities, people are struggling to raise the money just to open. Um, not only are we able to open, we have enough funding going into year two, and now we're trying to fund, you know, the subsequent years three, four, and five to ensure that this project remains a stable, well-funded project, especially because the people coming in, you know, need that stability. Um, and then number three, the Pritzker family, um, you know, that connection has been amazing. Um, they've been nothing but giving. Um, you know, they're already very active in the foster youth space. Um, but when I say... Um, the Pritzker families come in and, you know, really bought into the vision and wanting to make a difference. Um, they've made a world of a difference in the training, the resources, and just the, the knowledge that they possess in helping run facilities like this. Um, and so I think the three married together um, has been this, like, huge aha moment, like, wow, like, not only is this going to happen, but we think that we're beginning to set up something that's going to be scaled and done across the city and, and it's great to see that so many people have believed in our vision well there's no doubt that part of the reason you were able to solidify some of these um donors and obviously with the pritzker you know foundation part of that has been your ability to network and your and the other people you've surrounded yourself ability to network so i'm guessing that would be some advice you would go and give other yeah. students while they're while they're along the way is there anything you did um, from a networking perspective in school or when you were first starting out, even in, at Kirkland, to really give yourself a name where you'd have the ability to go back and ask people? Because I, I would assume it's, it's not like, oh, you meet somebody one time and then ask for some money and then they yeah. are willing to fund it. It took some time to develop. So maybe share a little bit about your experience in um, forming these relationships. So I think um, people need to do a couple things. So the first thing is um, when people say network, I always used to think of, of a very transactional relationship. You know, I am making a contact to you in, seek, in, in hopes that I will one day seek a benefit from you and vice versa. Um, and I think that the way I think of networking, and I think this is, you know, something that is a, as a result of the community that I came from, um, I think networking more of like familia, like this is your community, you know, you will go out to bat for them. You will look out for opportunities for them, not necessarily expecting anything in return, but when you're thinking of building your network, you want to think, how can I be a resource for the people that I'm surrounding myself with? Be the go-to guy when they need something so that the day, if it ever comes that I will need something, you know, the world, the world will turn and they will, you know, come, you know, to help you. And I've always been the kind of person that, you know, takes the time, you know, if someone needs, you know, just an ear, someone needs something reviewed, someone needs, um, you know, a contact somewhere, I will go out of my way to try and make that connection happen. Um, just because, again, the more that you are active and, and involved and personally get to know your network, when those opportunities come that you might need that network to step in and help you, it'll 
pay off tenfold. Um, but also related to that is your brand. Um, you know, I've made a good uh, effort to try and brand myself as someone that is active in the community, that cares about various issues that impact communities like mine. And so as a result, like, even if I may not have a strong connection to some people in my network, they still identify and can connect with this brand that they've kind of seen over time. So I think students, especially starting young, need to start thinking about what are some general themes that I kind of want to focus on so that when, you know, that person that you may not talk to for a couple months, a year, two years, you know, hears from you again, they're like, oh, yeah, I remember this person. This is the kind of branding, you know, template or branding, you know, thing, uh, themes that come to mind when I hear of that person. So it makes sense that they're reaching out or maybe you don't reach out and they're, you know, trying to remember who do I remember was in this space or has knowledge of this space. Um, and if they're ever in a giving mood or want to, you know, connect, you know, you'd be the person that comes to mind. So I think a combination of, you know, the effort and investment that I've spent in my network, but also kind of just like the outward facing brand that I've carried have both married together to help, you know, uh, activate the network and supporters that have come through to support Los Angeles Room Board. Very cool. You know, Andres, for a young guy, you've got a lot of wisdom. I've interviewed a lot of people around the table and, um, you know, you, you've, you've definitely, you know, have a lot of insight where I think it's taken others 20 or 30 years to really develop. And I'm guessing you've had some good mentorship. If you haven't, yes. then I'd be shocked, but maybe talk about some of your mentors and how that has helped you. And how, how did you build some of these relationships with your, with your mentors? Yeah. Um, or maybe so point, think, sorry, maybe point one out specifically if there's somebody, a mentor that, you know, sticks out out of the people that have helped you over time. Yeah. So, um, I mean, like you said, mentors are, you know, critical. Um, I think that, um, well, I guess before I get into the one mentor that uh, comes to mind, um, when I think of mentorship, I always, you know, tell people, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be the person that's, you know, highest um, on the totem pole, you know, the CEO or the president. Um, sometimes the, some of the best mentors are the people, you know, that are, you know, even keel, you know, they're rising the ranks with you. Um, because what people don't, you know, take the time to realize is that these people, you know, could eventually become the client, could eventually become the, the referral um, to that job. Um, and so it's important to, you know, kind of like, you know, expand your mind of who could possibly be um, your mentor, um, because, again, it, it could really open up your your eyes and your world to various people. Um, and sometimes you kind of close that, that opportunity out. So I think I have tons of mentors um, and, and, and yeah, uh, they've all been amazing. But I think that uh, as of late, um, greatest mentor that I've had. Um, has been a, a partner at Kirkland. Um, he uh, is my direct supervisor, and uh, he really has looked out for um, me in various ways, not only professionally, but personally. Um, from a professional standpoint, you know, ensuring that I'm on all, you know, the biggest transactions that he can get me on and opportunities to really engage with complex matters. But on a personal perspective, also ensuring that, you know, I'm constantly... Um, you know, staying true to the things that matter to me so that I could really build a long-lasting, holistic practice. Um, and what I like to tell people is when you're thinking of, like, who is a good mentor, 
it should be someone that like really can help not only support the things that matter to you, but also challenge you in those things. Um, oftentimes we, you know, may want to stay away from the people that don't make us, that don't support us hundred percent and always, um, but you know, that necessarily, that doesn't necessarily mean that that person is the best mentor. Um, if that's how you thrive, great. I like to have people that won't always think like me, won't always agree with how I do things because they really will get me to think through decisions and opportunities critically. Um, and, and that's really been helpful for me. I'm not the kind of person that needs, you know, a mentor to be a plug to like necessarily like help me connect with people. I'm already pretty good with that. Uh, but this mentor also happens to be that. Um, so be very true about like, what are your biggest needs? And does your mentor fulfill that? Um, one suggestion that I received from um, a former mentor as well was, think of it like, you know, a, a dating at times, you know, do your pro and con list. You know, is this mentor, what are all the positives? And not necessarily a con, but like, what are the things, what are the, the gaps of like information that you think you're not getting from this mentor? And begin to, in the area where there is gap, identify people that could fill that. So that way it's not just one mentor you're relying on, but you can kind of reach out to more to fill the areas where there may be gap. That's great. That's great advice. And, um, you know, I like the idea of having your, your mentor uh, challenge you and have someone that thinks differently because if they're just continuing to plug what you're already doing that's not um constructive enough for you to continue to grow and so as our listeners are thinking about their own people in their life that are helping them is it people that are always encouraging or or does some of uh does some of us have people in our life that are our mentors but not challenging us enough and sometimes it might be okay to tell our mentors hey come and challenge us because, you know, maybe we can handle it. Maybe we can grow uh, from that as well. Um, you know, before we part ways, um, Andres, and thanks for your time again today, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners about either uh, LA Room and Board or if they're interested in, you know, following up and learning more, how they can get connected with you? Yeah, so if anyone is interested in volunteering um, or in giving, um, you know, definitely uh, the best way to reach out to me is probably looking me up on the Kirkland and Ellis website, uh, looking up Andres Cantero um, under the attorney list. Uh, my contact information is all there, uh, phone, email. Um, but yes, we're always looking for, you know, people obviously to give, but um, also people to come and spend time with these students. I know with COVID, uh, physical uh, presence may not be as easily possible, but, you know, even hopping on a Zoom call to sit on a panel, you know, to kind of discuss what it's like to be a college student. Some of our students are, you know, homeless community college students, and they're trying to figure out what is the best way to navigate community college and, and college in general. Um, if not on a panel, um, they're taking time to, you know, just be a mentor or a resource to a student that, you know, doesn't understand how everything in life works. Uh, and then, you know, just being a friend, uh, you know, again, we never know where these students and their potential will, and how that will develop. Um, so uh, we're always looking for people to just kind of come in and provide that community of support for these students. And once we're able to um, open up fully, 
Um, once we're able to open up fully, um, you know, the focus is, you know, hoping to have students come and help us prepare, you know, meals or conduct various like career or like interview workshops. So those opportunities will also arise in the future. Awesome. Well, thanks, Andres. Enjoyed the conversation today. And I think our listeners did as well. This has been a Stella Oak Mavens podcast. We empower you, the listener, to take control of your life. Thank you for listening to the Stella Oak Mavens podcast. We hope to see you next week and make sure to stay inside and stay safe.